Hey, this is Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, and I've been on that show. It's a good show, I think. I have to, I'm still figuring out how to listen to podcasts. I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Paul Reiser talking about stand-up comedy and Red Oaks and... You know, once in a while you get a, a no-brainer, and uh, I had seen the first season and thought it was great, and I got a call from the Duffer Brothers who were eager to meet me and told me that they had written this role with me in mind. I went, are you kidding? Yes, Stranger Things. Oddly, we did not talk a lot about uh, the signature piece, Mad About You, because, uh, well, I think people can get that a lot of other places. I want to talk about all this other stuff that uh, we know him from. So we had a really cool conversation with him. We have a song of the week coming up from George Ezra, but since we have such a huge guest on the show, I'm not going to fool around with any, like, homemade comedy bits. Here's some professionally produced comedy written by me, but, of course, professionally produced by, well, professionals. First, there was Vanilla Coke. Then, Pepsi jumped on the bandwagon with Pepsi Vanilla. And now, Pepsi is trying to rip off Coke in an even bigger way. Introducing Pepsi Coke. It's Pepsi with the flavor of Coke. Mmm, I haven't had Pepsi this good since the last time I had a Coke. That's because the can says Pepsi, but the taste says Coke. Wow, Pepsi Coke is awesome. See, some 20-something gulped it down and said it was awesome, so it's gotta be good. And it comes in every possible variety. There's Diet Pepsi Coke 1, Caffeine-Free Pepsi Coke, Caffeine-Free Diet Pepsi Coke, Cherry Pepsi Coke, Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue, and Caffeine-Free Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue with Caffeine. Wow, I had no idea the taste of all my favorite Pepsi flavors would taste better with a taste of Coke. Take the Pepsi Coke taste test today and see if you can tell if you're tasting Pepsi or Coke or both. Pepsi Coke. It's the Pepsi name you know with the taste of Coke you love. How many times has this happened to you? I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to the restroom. Hmm. Flounders or snappers? Ooh. Let's try snappers. Ooh, sorry, wrong door. If you're a guy or girl on the go, then you know theme restaurant bathroom designations can be misleading. But now you don't ever have to be confused again because you've got the Restroom Thesaurus. The Restroom Thesaurus lists every possible combination of male-female euphemism. Blokes and birds, bantams and hands, shoots and ladders, bobsleds and moguls, andomorphs and gynecomorphs. Yes, the Restroom Thesaurus is your one-stop source for avoiding embarrassing entrances into the wrong bathroom. Seafood restaurants. Oh, let's see. Buoys and gulls, bulkheads and portholes, hornpipes and shanties. Oh, here we go. Flounders are men. All right. Never walk into the wrong restroom again with the Restroom Thesaurus because you don't want to take a shot in the dark. Paul Reiser is a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, producer, and musician from New York City. And uh, boy, we were so lucky to be able to talk to him here now as our conversation with Paul Reiser. Perfect. Well, great. This is very exciting. Thanks for doing it. Oh, it's exciting for me. This Imagine is... my excitement. <laughs> there you go. If you can. Well, I was going to... Uh, I... Let me ask you this. How hot is it right now in Florida? Well, I'm not in Florida. I am actually in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's uh, surprising. And it is probably hotter here 
than it is in Florida. It was oh, ninety-eight. Yeah, it was ninety-eight yesterday. Uh, yeah, and uh, my buddy lives in Jacksonville. He's originally from Scotland, and I think it's actually pretty temperate because they're right there along the beach. So it's uh, probably a little bit cooler there than it is here. Well, then that's why I'm not going to Cincinnati this month. <laughs> there you go. Um, I was going to say, you know, uh, you know, the, the work you're probably most known for, and people think of Paul Reiser off the top uh, top, top of someone's head, of course, it would be uh, Mad About You, uh, which okay. which we all love. Okay, but I, I'm a Paul Reiser fan from way back, like back to Diner even, and then your stand-up. And, uh, and I was thinking before the call here, I was thinking I probably saw you do stand-up and then saw a Diner on HBO like after I'd been out a few years. And then I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize he was an actor too. And then later I heard the story about how you got the gig, which um, I always re- uh, recount yeah. to people in the, in the business. Well, you know what's funny is, is when I've gotten back, it's been about four or five years now that I got back into doing stand-up. I had taken a long break while I was doing the uh, right before Mad About You and then throughout Mad About You, I kind of put it on the back burner and neglected to get back uh, right away. So, but what was funny to me is that when I started calling out, people said, oh, I didn't know he was a comedian too. I'm like, wait a minute, that's that's what I think, that's what I think of myself, that's all I do. But I, I realize it's a very fair assessment because I hadn't really been out there as a comic in, in all these years. So, uh, yeah, it's funny. You do, it's my, you know, it's what I enjoying doing is now getting to do both and really keeping both motors running and doing stand-up all along the way as I'm doing these other film and TV projects. But uh, stand-up was always my first love. And when I started, you know, in college, that was all I kind of thought I would be doing. That's all I was aiming to be doing. I wasn't, I didn't have it in my head that, oh, I'm going to be an actor. But yeah, as you, as you say that, the, uh, I had a very sort of, uh, curious and uh, 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 flow of events and getting uh, the the role in Diner, which was an actual, uh, really a, a sort of happenstance and just happened by accident. And uh, but that in fact opened up all these other doors for me. So there's something to be said for happenstance. Yes, uh, my uh, buddies and I were even huge fans of uh, my two dads. Well, there you go. Back in the day. And I think what drew us to it was the fact that we knew you from your... We were huge stand-up fans, and the fact that you were in that, I think, probably drew us to oh, it. Oh, that's nice to know. And, uh, yeah. Nice know. And we, we And we were a tough room, so, you know, for us to... <laughs> and we, and we, we fancied ourselves uh, comedy writers back in the day. Um, Where was that? Where were you at that time? Uh, Pittsburgh, PA. Just out of college with my buddies, and we we did treatments for some sitcoms. One was the Gary... It's Gary Shandling show, one was Cheers, and one was... Um, uh, my two dads never went anywhere. We were, you know, naive and foolish, and but but it was one of the shows we were interested in. You know, at least uh, interested well, enough that nice we knew. We're in that nice select category. Yeah, yeah, you uh, you, you didn't did inspire us. Yeah. So um, where did you go? Did you go to uh, Carnegie Mellon? No, no, I went to Bowling Green State University. Bowling. Okay. Yeah, my dad lived in Pittsburgh, so I lived there with him uh, for a while. My buddy, one buddy, went to University of Pittsburgh, and one went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. There you go. Yep. So, and uh, he's now a comedian too, actually, in Pittsburgh, so. Oh, really? Yeah, so the, the inspiration goes on. So, speaking of college, you were saying, what were you studying in college, or was it, you, was it just part of the something to do while you got your comedy career going? You... No, no, it wasn't that at all. I was, I was actually a music major, a piano and composition major, and that was really yeah. only because I played piano, and I was, that was what I loved doing, and I loved playing, you know, and I was, I was fairly proficient at it so it seemed like that was an easier major like oh I'm halfway done um, but I, I don't think I really had thoughts of being 
professional musician. Oh, I, I think I, composing had an had a, yeah, an appeal to me, but I, I didn't really know how to go about doing that or what that world was like. So when I was in college, I was doing that really for fun, and then I was in my head, I was taking business courses because I thought I was going to end up doing you know very very uh, straight and narrow world. And uh, what? So there was no plan to be a comedian, but what happened was those clubs that we now have known for 30, 40 years, they were just really coming into the into being. So Catch a Rising Star and the Improv, and you'd see on TV, you'd see all these young, funny comics that came out of that farm club. And so suddenly that was uh, a, a, a uh, it was a sort of a, <clears throat> what's the word? It, it was sort of a, a, a sign, you know, it was a, a goalpost. It was like, here, come here, and this is where you can begin comedy. Because I would have, I would have had no idea how to begin or how that was, but suddenly it seemed like, well, if you come to this place, something will happen. Ah. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. So my freshman year in college, I was 18, and I went up uh, that summer one time, one time only, for five minutes on audition nights, and I'm sure I was not good at all. But luckily, when you're young, you're insulated uh, by your own stupidity. So I didn't <laughs> even know that I wasn't good. I was uh, you know, silly enough to think, well, I'm not bad at all. But I, I, I remember it was very telling that when I went back for my sophomore year and I would say, hey, what did you do this summer? And I would tell, instantly tell everybody, well, I was a comedian for all five minutes. But it was such a, it felt <laughs> such a defining experience. I felt like, yeah, that's, that feels right. So then I just continued over the summers. And when college was out, I sort of just stayed there in, in, in comedy world. So were you influenced at that point by people you had seen on TV or by the people that were around you trying to do it at the same time or a little bit of both? Well, I, I think I was inspired before that, you know, when I was in high school. <clears throat> I was influenced, I mean, now I call it influence, but then I was just a fan of George Carlin and Robert Klein and David Steinberg and David Brenner and certainly Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner and Woody Allen. And, you know, people that I was just drawn to that I... Uh, would just, you know, stay up, you know, on the Tonight Show to watch the Tonight Show anytime George Carl, any of those guys were on. And George Carlin was on a lot. So those were the guys that I was just sort of, you know, nurturing myself on because that, that was an easy, you know, you're just drawn to it uh, because they were great and, I, and they just appealed to me. But at the same time, when I started seeing in 74, I guess, or 73, 4, when Freddie Prinze and Gabe Kaplan and Jimmy Walker, these guys, and it's not that their comedy influenced me, but they were just examples of when that machinery worked, that oh, they all came out of these clubs, and if you go to those clubs, maybe something magical happens. I don't know how it is, but it seems to be the place to start. So that was uh, uh, just a fortuitous timing that I was able to go, oh, I have a place to go. And since I lived in New York, it wasn't, I didn't have to re. I didn't have to rework my life. I was just like, all right, I'm going to go to this place on, on First Avenue and wait online and, and go on at 2 o'clock in the morning and see what that's like. And, uh, you know, it's such a brutal process in the beginning that if you end up staying, you must really love it <laughs> because there is no reward and there's nothing less guaranteed in the world than a, a, a successful career at comedy. You know, it's just... It's not what any parent wants to hear their 17-year-old go, I'm going to I'm going to just go to these clubs and stay out late and like make no money and and, uh, and see what happens. <clears throat> it's not really an ironclad career plan, but it worked out. So how did you find your voice? Was it difficult at first with all that kind of competition around you? or did you? Well, it's not a competition. I think everybody, when you go up, you 
you're most likely to be it's a, a, a an amalgam of all the people that you grew up that you heard in your head. So if I find old cassettes of those days, I go, oh my gosh, I was really sounding like a Woody Allen record, or wow, that bit I sounded like I was trying to be George Carlin. And I wasn't trying to be, but it's just those are the, it's sort of, you know, it's like learning to ride a bike and somebody has to push you from behind until you're ready to go on your own. And again, you don't find your voice for a while. I think it's just doing it night after night, year after year, that you suddenly go, oh, okay. I mean, it was a good five or six years, I think, before I felt... Um, like okay I know what I'm doing now and it's interesting then I took these long uh, break I, I didn't do stand-up from 90 Man About You started in 92 so probably 91 I, I just or I don't know around 92 I stopped just going out on the road and then I was busy with Mad About You and creating it and then doing it and when it was over I was just really happy to be home and now life had changed I had uh, two kids and I was really happy to be home for a while and uh, yeah I had to sort of just jump in the pool and go, hey, it's time to do it. It's time to get back and stand up. But what, what was really interesting to me was it felt exactly the same uh, as it did when I was 17. So here it is, whatever, 30, 40 years later. Um, and this, I remember when I would go up, I would remember vaguely how to do it, but the muscle, you know, it's like, you know, if, if you're a basketball player and you take a couple of years off, you know how to do it, but the muscles are not firing. So it took me a, a good year to feel, uh, just to get the muscle back and to know how to perform where I felt comfortable enough to go out and, you know, sell a ticket and, and uh, ask people to come see me. And that, but it, it only grows, you know, now I've been doing it, I don't know, four years, five years, and I keep, I, it, it's like a moving target, you know, you have a in mind where you want to get to, and then when you get there, you see a little further than that. And uh, it's a, it, that's, that's what I love about stand-up, it's, you never... You never quite nail it to your own satisfaction. You're always growing and you're always uh, chasing uh, a level, a level of, of comfort. And I, I feel so much more comfortable and uh, have more fun. You know, that was a really awesome big deal, big difference for me when I went back out on the road uh, after all these years. It was a different point in life. So the audiences knew me. It wasn't like, hey, here's a young guy never heard of it, maybe you'll like them. If they came to the theater, they knew me and uh, presumably already liked what they saw. So it was this great feeling for me. And for, it, it felt like getting together with old friends. You know, I just kind of, uh, we had, the audiences largely would have grown up on Mad About You or grown with me on Mad About You. And so 20 years ago, we were just getting married and now we're on the other side of having kids. And and uh, there's a connection, and it felt just a lot more organic. And, and uh, as much as I love doing it the first time, it's even more fun this time around. And was there any thought of ever bringing like music into the act, or doing yeah, it? Ne- never. No, people never. are not doing that now, so. No, I never. No, to me, they're always very separate. You know, this it's like, and I always would tell people, I said, you know, I also. They said, well, you should do it on stage. You, you, you know, you're so good. I go, well, listen, I. I also like eating, but I don't bring a sandwich on stage. You know, they're separate. <laughs> Just because you can do two, I don't juggle either. But, uh, you know, there's no, they're very different to me. I was never a particular fan of funny music. You know, I don't, I don't see the, uh, I don't see the connection. So I, I play a lot. I'm actually playing a lot more than I used to also. But, you know, it's just for myself. And, and, okay. um, and then the stand up is, is the public thing. 
Oh, okay. Very good. And I guess your brand of comedy seems to also like it, it, it ages better maybe than, than, you know, than other folks. I mean, are you kind of still working in the same way and finding the same thing as funny in life? Or now yeah, that you've... I, 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 I'm often struck by how similar the through line is. And sometimes I'll even circle back and realize, oh my gosh, I did a bit, an earlier version of this observation 30 years ago. You know, but it's, but it's the newer, uh, it's the, the newer version of that. But, uh, yeah, the things that interest me and that I'm drawn to are have been the same, you know. And when you talk about finding your voice, I think I was doing it uh, at least uh, like six, seven years uh, when I started doing bits about uh, my relationship. And my girlfriend at the time was then moved out from Pittsburgh, actually, yeah. and she moved out to LA, and and I noticed life was different suddenly. Living with another person, I started doing bits about it, and. And I noticed that they were much better and much deeper and richer than whatever it is I was doing up to then, for the most part. And that sort of became what I uh, was drawn to and what I did well. And then, and, and it's telling, you know, the Mad About You grew out of that and out of Mad About You grew the books. And, and uh, so, so it seems like there's been a sort of through line. So I'm still drawn to the same things, but it's, a, as I say, it's a different point in life. So. You know, 60 is very different than 30. And you, you know, you have, uh, a lot more perspective. You have a lot more life under your belt and you've had kids and, and, uh, and, and you know yourself better. You know, for all the, the negative things that are not great about getting older, you do know yourself better and you have, whether right or wrong, you have opinions. <laughs> you yeah, have a little yeah. bit more, uh, confidence in your own opinions and taste. Um, so it, it's, you know, I, I, I do think I absolutely work in the same style, but it's very different because I'm different. Yeah. Uh, one of the bits I always think about of yours is really an old one. And I don't, you were on The Tonight Show, and this is, you were do, doing panel. This wasn't even a stand up thing that you had done. And I didn't know if it was, was with Johnny, today? with Jay, uh, talking about uh, looking for a house. And you go into the house and you, you say, oh, we can have parties over here. And even you're never going to have a party ever in that house. You're planning for things that are never going to happen. And I always think about, especially when I watch HDTV to this day, I'll see people being like, oh, we can entertain over here. And I, the, immediately that you sitting on the yeah, couch. Was, I, I just, forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, like, and it's still true. You'll never do that. It's still true. <laughs> you go, and this will be, you imagine some idyllic world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not going to happen in that house. Um, two other things that we're huge fans of of yours, uh, Red Oaks. Oh, nice. My wife and I loved. Oh my God, we were so sad to see it end. But yeah, I, you know, and it was such a, it was a really sweet show, and it did not very. get the uh, attention it could have. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, um, Stranger Things. Yeah, I helped them make that a big hit, didn't I? Yeah, that was what well, was a pleasant surprise because when you, <laughs> in fact, just uh, yeah, that was you know, once in a while you get a, a no-brainer, and uh, I had seen the first season and thought it was great, and. I got a call from the Duffer brothers who were eager to meet me and told me that they had written this role with me in mind. I went, oh. you're kidding. So they go, would you like to be in it? And you just go, yes. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I don't have to, I'm not going to be coy and, and uh, <laughs> play, play hard to get. Like, oh, this, you know, it's very rare. You get a chance like that to jump into a show that's not only really good, but really in the zeitgeist. You know, everybody was really tuned into that show. And these guys were so capable and so talented. So, I didn't, I didn't know anything about my role of the, the bare bones that they told me, but I had absolute confidence that it would be great and, and they knew what they were doing. And it's nice to be able to, you know, throw yourself into somebody else's sandbox and just 
go play. Yeah, I've heard that, that a lot. That those, those are things people like to sink their teeth into. And uh, we watched episode one of season two last night, just so I could, you know, prep for this again, even though I've seen it several times. And what's cool about that character is when I first saw it the first time, I'm like, oh, this, this is going to be like the Matthew Modine character. This is just a different Dickie scientist guy. And they kind of lead you to believe that at the end yeah. of that first episode, you kind of waved a hopper and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he's up to no good. But then you get to see the character's humanity you know, uh, as the season progresses, and it was just really cool, and they did a really great job. Thank you. They, they, they were, I think, being quiet about it, too. They wouldn't even tell me yeah. where it ended. So while I was doing it, I, you know, I I was playing it like I thought I was a good guy, but I knew, I knew <laughs> that it may turn out, six episodes in, that I'm terrible. But uh, sometimes, you know, that's even more scary when somebody... Uh, you know, somebody who really seems up and up and, and good intended, well intended, it turns out to be nasty. That's, that's, that's even scarier because you've let them in, you know, you yeah. trusted them. So, uh, yeah, I think that was very much their design to keep the audience guessing. And it certainly was stacked against me, uh, the character, you know, I mean, David Harbour and they're going, we don't trust you. And, and, you know, that suspicion was there on the surface. Right. And my character was like, well, I know I'm coming into this. It's like, I know you guys had a terrible experience and I'm here to clean up the mess. Like, okay, but we don't trust you. Exactly, yeah. Uh, For my youngest daughter's spring break, we didn't have a lot of money to go anywhere, so we went down to Atlanta and looked at all the filming locations for Stranger Things. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Did you go to, yeah, where they had the the, the science lab? The lab, yeah, it was from the first stop. That's a depressing building. It is. What's cool about it, and we were looking at it last night, I'm like, they had that one aerial shot, and I was telling my girls and my wife that it's interesting, if they shoot that from the other side, you can see all of Atlanta. But they're shooting it that way, and it's just, uh-huh. it's the, yeah, it's just. The, I never even noticed that. I never got up higher. The movie, the movie magic, yeah. And, well, even if, when you pull up to the building, you can see Atlanta behind it, so that's well, why. Well, it's I a guess. Desert, it's an abandoned uh, facility that was some sort of, I don't know how sketchy it was, but it was some sort of science lab, mental yeah. health facility. And it just was creepy looking and creepy feeling. And I don't know what happened, but they never cleaned it out. So I would wander down a hall. And see a room with all these, you know, knocked over machines and stuff from the 80s. And I said, wow, these, these, uh, production designers are great. And somebody said, no, we're not using that room. That was just <laughs> left like that. I went, oh my God. It's, it was, uh, it was oh. very realistic. So you shot interiors and, in there? Say again? You shot some of the interiors in there? Yeah. That was oh, okay. Our interiors, all the, oh. all the lab headquarters stuff. Because my not, oldest. No, not, the control center was not, I was on the set. Okay. But uh, a lot of the rooms where they're running and they're, they're the demagogues are getting them. Oh, that's cool. Because I think I can't remember. Yeah, because yeah, that was in that building. Because yeah. we were looking it up online as we were kind of walking around the building, and my oldest was saying, "Oh no, they, they shot everything on a soundstage. They just no, used this no, for exteriors." No. Oh, shot okay. Some stuff on a soundstage, oh. but uh, like you know, the first scene where my office and everywhere yeah. end up. That's all. I was all practical. I was in that building. Oh, that is so cool! Wow, yeah. awesome. So back to the stand-up. Um, you're going to be getting out on the road more and more. It seems like you have a lot of things keeping you busy. Like yeah, you know, I try and do more, and I, I keep uh, getting diverted and distracted, and something will come up that takes my attention away. But I, I would love to get out there more and more. Uh, I'm yeah, doing the two shows. You know, my my original plan was uh, about a year or two ago was like every other weekend to go out and do two shows. I I was never even in my single youth days. I was never a road guy in the true sense. You know, the guys who would go from city to city to city. It's like I was never that. I would go out, and come on, I'll go out, and come on. And uh, so so it's I, I you know I like being home and I like being with my family. So so it's I've never been a, a big fan of getting out for extended days but uh this has been a nice very uh manageable 
workload. You know, go somewhere fun. I'm doing two shows in Florida, and then the following week, I think I'm doing, or week I'm doing two shows in Michigan, and then a couple of weeks later, I'm doing two shows in the Denver area. So, so you know, it's it's really I was all over the place. There's no real desire. It's just <laughs> something. I was in some small town. I forget where it was. And somebody said, "Why did you pick this place? Why are you here?" <laughs> and I said, "I have a very very intricate betting system. It goes like this." If somebody invites me, I show up. That's what I do. So oh, there you go. If, they, if there's a nice hall and they say, we'd like you to come, I will be there. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get you here in Cincinnati sometime uh, as well. There you go. I've not been in Cincinnati. Uh, I don't know if I've ever performed in Cincinnati. Oh, okay. But I said that uh, when I just started getting back a couple of years ago, I played a, there was a comedy club in Louisville, or Lexington, I forget. And I said, oh, it's good. It's my first time here. And somebody said, not really, and they showed me a picture of me <laughs> in that same club 30 years ago. Oh my ago. God, that's right, so I funny. I forgot. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to go on a record. I may very well have had a great time in Cincinnati. I don't recall. Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> let you know if I find out any differently. And thanks for doing this today. I uh, really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Yeah, great talking to you. Now go make me sound intelligent and Absolutely. fill up that theater. It's a nice big theater. I will uh, tell my, I'll tell I my will friend put Brian. I your shoulders to get those people in there. Great. I will uh, tell my friend Brian. He's he's a, a church leader down there in Jacksonville, so he knows a lot of people. So For I'll God's sake, tell him to bring everybody Bring in. the flock. All right. All right, man. Thank <laughs> Thanks. you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Paul Reiser for being on the show. You can catch Paul. Let's see where. Well, July 11th at the Irvine Improv in Irvine, California. Then it's at the Ponte Verde Concert Hall in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, it's actually in Ponte Verde Beach, Florida, but I think it's near Jacksonville. Then back to the West Coast, the Oxnard Levity Live in Oxnard, California, July 31st. Royal Oak Music Theater in Detroit, Michigan, actually in the suburb there in Royal Oak. Uh, for all other ticket dates, uh, I guess you just have to Google Paul Reiser Tour because I, I thought he had a website, but I could not click to it. Uh, so I don't know what happened there. So I found this date, though, uh, on Ticketmaster. So anyway, oh wait, nope, he just has an IMDB page. Could have sworn he had a website. Well, anyway, that's where you can find him. And in the meantime, it brings us up to the song of the week. And uh, well, we'll just get right to it. It's George Ezra. He had the song of the week a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you may know him in the United States uh, or North America, Canada. Let's see, just see, do you know him in Canada? Yes, you do, because he got the 24th Budapest. Got the 32 here with a top 10 hit elsewhere in the world. And that's been about it. I, he's a singer-songwriter. I don't know why people, you know, if you like your uh, who these other singer-songwriter dudes don't know why you don't stand George Ezra. It just baffles me. Uh, who are they? Oh, Sam Smith is one of the ones. Uh, Charlie Puth. All these. George Ezra fits right in. Fits like a glove. His latest hit is Shotgun. It's the number one song in the UK right now. Two weeks in a row as the recording of this podcast. And it's another cracking tune from him. Goes along with Casio and Blame It On Me and Don't Matter Now. Uh, don't know George Ezra. Check him out. Uh, and if you can't check him out uh, soon, you can check this out. Our song of the week, Shotgun from George Ezra. P.S. Tape Recorder, so long and thanks for listening. Homegrown alligator, see you later. Gotta hit the road, gotta hit the road. The sun and change in the atmosphere, architecture unfamiliar. I could get used to this Time flies by in the yellow and green Stick around and you'll see what I mean There's a mountain top that I'm dreaming of If you need me, you know where I'll be I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun Feeling like a someone I'll be riding shotgun underneath
the hearts I'm feeling like it's someone We're south of the equator navigator Gotta hit the road, gotta hit the road Diving round the clock, bikini bottoms, lager tops I could get used to this Time flies by in the yellow and green Stick around and you'll see what I mean There's a mountain top that I'm dreaming of If you need me, you know where I'll be I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun I'm feeling like someone